Hello and welcome to season three of Get It Off Your Breasts, the podcast that digs into all those issues that really get under your skin. I'm Leanna Bird and joining me with Emma Gannon, we have some very special guests. So we are very excited to be in the lovely home of the comedian Sophie Duca. For the crisps. Oh, I'm so glad that you gave me an excuse to have those crisps. We've hoovered them up in yeah. seconds. <laughs> it's amazing in here. Um, mm. So as our guest, you are welcome to go first. What would you wow. like to get off your breasts today? What do I want to get off my breasts? So many things. Um, but since we're in my house, in the constituency of Hackney North and Stoke Newington, I thought that um, what I wanted to get off my breasts today in particular was Diane Abbott. Specifically, the treatment of Diane Abbott, not Diane Abbott herself. Um, I just okay. So I feel I feel very uh, personally connected to this issue, uh, despite not really knowing Diane Abbott. I have met her now. Um, I met her last year, um, but I didn't really know her before last year when there was the general election and there was like the amplification of all the nonsense about her. In short, um, Diane Abbott gets almost half of the hate mail that's sent to female MPs. Like, it's all coming to her. When I ended up meeting her uh, last year, she told me that the thing that most surprises people who uh, work for her, when they come to work for her, is the amount of hate mail that they have to sift through. Like, part of that every day is just going through, like, racist, sexist, like, horrible like messages, death threats. She gets it constantly. Um, but everyone finds it just, like, really fun to take a, take the piss of her she's just like an easy target she's always where um like she gets people really like frothed up and angry and I think it's lazy and I think it's boring and I think we should all leave leave Diane Abbott alone mm. she's a great she's objectively a great politician I could go on but I feel like no you can I mean I mean go on because I'm I, I'm just sort of intrigued as to why I, I think we've all noticed it right the treatment of Diane Abbott um, and why you think it is, because there's obviously people talking about the fact that she's a woman, the mm -hmm. fact that she's black. There's also every time she makes a mistake, which a lot of politicians do, it seems to be really overly amplified. And I just wondered why you think she gets this treatment by not not just public people sending her crazy hate mail, but also press as well. I think... I think the reason she gets it more than other people is because I think it's a variety of reasons. I remember someone around the time of the last general election was saying that, oh, you could put, like, you could put a donkey, like, you could put, like, a red rosette on a donkey in Hackney and it would get, like, it'd get elected. But that doesn't ignore the fact that she's, like, last year improved her majority. She's, like, her majority was about as big, like the, the amount that she was in front of the next candidate was almost as much as Theresa May's entire vote. Mm. So the amount that she increased, like her, major like her majority in front of the other person was as much as Theresa May got in, of all of her support in her constituency. And I think the, the reason that I ended up having to meet her is that she kind of disappeared uh, from her role during the election because um, in, in, in a kind of unexplained way at the time, she'd like had the whole gaff over getting numbers wrong. Uh, that was an and LBC, right? And she it was on an LBC. She was asked something about police numbers. I and think, yeah. She didn't have the numbers to hand. And, and so she kind of, um, I think she just sort of like sort of mumbled. She sort just, of fumbled it and yeah. like stuff. She basically had a bit of a panic. Instead of just going, I don't have the numbers, she kind of it, it sort of just tried to sort of not answer it. And it just 
became a bit became a bit of a viral thing, didn't it? And everyone yeah. liked to mock her basically for the back of that. But like so many, even just I was looking back at articles from that time, and even like just around that time, there were like five like Jeremy Hunt couldn't remember mm-hmm. the minimum wage. There were other MPs that couldn't remember like huge numbers of like really um, of things that are kind of constants. Didn't uh, Philip H- Hammond get like twenty billion? Yeah, he, wrong off the economy, and no yeah. one cared. No one said no anything. No one cared because it's yeah. not as it's sort of just not as fun to be like, oh, she's terrible in interview, and people are like, I'm not voting for Labour because like Diane Abbott's an idiot. Like it's just she she wouldn't be in cabinet anyway. The reason I think that Diane Abbott gets it more than everyone else is part is for loads of reasons, but partly because she's been there so long. She was first elected to the same seat that she's in now. Hatney North and Stoke Newington in 1987 and in the environment of her getting into politics in the late 80s it's obviously a lot harder than it is now for younger MPs to be a black woman in that space to be fighting against firstly being a young MP like everyone knows that like Mari Black goes viral because she says great things like in the House of Commons but to be a young person in that environment which is overwhelmingly full of really really conservative whether with a big c or a little c old white men to not be trusted and also to be the only person that looks like you that mm. isn't cleaning stuff up mm. um must have been really hard and i think that takes a certain amount of grit and determination and i wasn't even alive when she got elected but i think for me other than obviously people are sexist and people are racist i think the fact that she has persisted and she's like old now the fact that she's like an auntie the fact that she's not perfect anymore she's not this young like go-getter first female black mp anymore means that people just want to tear her down i think there's a special pressure on women and on women of color in certain scenarios to be perfect to be this superwoman and because she's revealed that she can be old and can be slow after fighting for like 30 years Mm. people will jump on any sign of weakness you're not allowed to be there unless you're being the very best and I think that's Mm. a particularly unfair thing about Diane Abbott yeah totally and I think that when I look at her I just think of her resilience over the years because like you said maybe the reason why she's still going because I think a lot of people are actually shocked that she is still going and that she is still getting up in the morning and doing this job because I think most people probably would think they couldn't. And I wonder if it's part of that, that actually she's used to it, which is even sadder. No one should be used to that, that uh, treatment. Yeah, I think I think she's absolutely like, it's just become part of daily daily life almost. It's, it, is, it is part of daily life. It's, the emails come in every day. People just say like, I think like from doing comedy writing and stuff, people do make late, like when there's open source shows where they get like contributions to the public, she's an easy target it's like making a fat joke people will make a joke about Diane Abbott that feels so sad though because but you know when you mentioned Diane Abbott and when you said that you were talking about it today the first things that pop into your mind like are often you know the mistake you talked about that she made on LBC about the figures through police officers or or something else that she said that people jumped on and actually you know she was the first black female MP that is huge like that should be the first thing that pops into our minds and to be becoming a figure I don't know I just think that's something really really wrong about that like she's opened up the door to so many other people and has taken steps and like was it was a leading the path where no one else would had gone but I think that's, that's the difference between people that respect her and people that don't because I actually got into a massive argument with someone about um Diane Abbott once they were being so disrespectful about her saying mm. that they'd 
you know, heard this story about how she talks to herself and that she was in the back of a taxi and she was just like, that she basically making out that she was like mental, which again, isn't very PC or very but it's the classic like crazy old like yes. bag lady and thing. people treat her that. like this yeah. dithery old woman which i hate i hate when people are quite ageist like that but my my point was like you know we should respect her you're treating her really badly you're joining in with this horrible troll behavior and their response and by the way this is someone i don't know i just met them and i overheard them say it at, at like a networking thing and they were like just because she's a woman and just because she's the first of something doesn't mean I should respect her. I mean, a massive argument. Uh, But I think it's what you were saying about is the disproportional attention she gets when she makes a mistake. So it's like people are waiting to jump on. So it's like, because she's a little bit older, because she's female, like people are going, Oh look, she doesn't know what she's talking about. She's, she's an idiot. She's losing it. She's not good at her job. Whereas other people like we talked about Philip Hammond making huge errors about, you know, he, accidentally missed 20 billion off the economy small thing no one seems to bother because it's like oh well he's a you know a white middle class conservative male he couldn't possibly be you know yeah it, it's it's that stereotype of kind of dithery old lady isn't it yeah. and she's not even she's not she's, that old is she she's not i mean i don't know how i don't know how old she is i could confirm i don't feel she's that old i mean not uh, yeah i don't know it, feel, it feels like you said lazy <laughs> It is, it is really lazy. And I think other people are allowed to just fail upwards to keep being crap in roles like with like the, he's not still Brett's etc. but Dominic Raab just being like, oh, I've realised that there's like a, D- a Dover Calais crossing. Like I didn't really realise that would be significant in Brexit. Um, like Boris Johnson making a career out of being like a sort of gaff making old uncle yes and oh my god everyone finds it kind of almost if, endearing and yeah. charming if if like if diane abbott came to like the house of Commons, like not dressed properly or with their hair all messed up or spouting things that later turned out to not be true or hideously offensive she wouldn't have her seat even though i, I said she's not she's no longer that superwoman figure just being her and not i think i think not having a complete breakdown is kind of being a superwoman getting on with it every day do you it's feel so that's true. almost though? In, do you feel that kind of can tra- um, sort of be transferred to all different realms of life? Like as a woman, I, for example, feel really nervous when people, especially men on the street, watch me park because I don't want to f- like yeah. live up to that stereotype. But when I'm on my own, I can park really well, well-ish. Um, <laughs> but it's that kind of thing of like everyone. Will, it will kind of it will um, confirm a sort of already negative stereotype. Yeah. Do you think that that, especially for women of color, is the case? Like that you almost have to. Like present yourself more kind of competently and across all different realms because because there are people looking to sort of trip yeah i think i mean i think there's i think you can see it with a lot of women of color like megan markle um who is like she's in like she's been an actress she's now a member of the royal family she's someone who perfection is demanded of and people will pick up on the the fact that she holds her bump too much or that she wears the wrong color tights or that she's uh she seems fake like she's she's literally an actress like it's her job to be nice to everyone and i think yeah i think it's a special i think people are just waiting for her to slip up it and it's like bullying yeah actually yeah i mean it, it is it, it is bullying yeah. it's just people seem people can't believe that they're in the positions that they're in they can't believe their success and so they want there to be something wrong with them mm-hmm. 
And I think, I think like, we're right, like all politicians and people in the public eye, like, of course, you know, in response to what your friend was saying, Emma, like, should be held under scrutiny. Like, no one's above scrutiny, right? We, we all welcome that. And I'm sure, like, Diane Abbott welcomes that. But it's only when it's proportional and fair. Mm. That mm-hmm. it's, and it just, it does seem like every little thing she's doing is being blown up. But you did something really lovely for her, didn't you? It was, it was when she, due to, like, this unexplained reason, due to illness, kind of backed out uh of the general election and kind of retired from being an mp quite briefly and i just was full i I was working in an office where lots of people had kind of political opinions and people were saying the same things about her being terrible all the time and i just like my heart kind of broke for her just like feeling like she's being demonized like on every channel people making jokes about her like the if labor doesn't win the election it's not really to do with jeremy corbyn she's just taking the brunt of everything that's wrong with the party and so i was like maybe she's i don't know what's happened to her maybe she can't like leave the house maybe she feels shit we're gonna send her a care package and we're gonna put in like loads of balms and things to like soothe her and make her feel good uh and I also made like a Beyonce gif and like photoshopped Diane <laughs> Abbott's face onto it, the one where she's in the formation video and she's like putting two middle fingers up. What was the way? What was the Serena Williams? Um, oh, did so you ever get we, that? No, yeah, we put everything in the. So we made, I made a list of the stuff that we were going to put in and it was stuff like there was a copy of Chewing Gum by Michaela Cole, Check Chewing Gum Dreams, the original screenplay. We got her loads of coconut oil because coconut so oil. I oil love that. Is, <laughs> A bomb. Did, did she did she get the package? Yeah, we actually hand delivered her the package in the oh. end. There was also like loads of fried plantain, which is the <laughs> thing that she was most interested in. Which I was really surprised that she even ate. I was like, you don't know who we are. We're just coming up to did rocking she up know to it was Westminster. You? Did she reach out or anything? So I think yeah, her office reached out and was like, oh, because I was like, if we raise any extra money than what it costs to get her this care package, we'll donate it to Hackney Charities. So I thought we'd get like a hundred pounds and we made like six thousand pounds for hackney charities wow, that's and that just goes to show as well like how much support there is out yeah there and she's she's so loved like looking back at the messages people are just they love they love her so much people are like whether they're like working class whether they're young black girls or just people who notice what she's doing and i think it's i think it's so rare as an mp that you get to see a big demonstration of of love for you like obviously you can help people on a one-on-one basis and you can do work with individual charities but i think a lot of people decided that she they, like she was an inspiration and in response to what you said it's not because she's the first or because she's a woman it's because of what that took to get there what her being there proves and it's like it's not an accident you don't get to be no. in that position you don't continue to do it for that long back accident yeah. either i wonder if you know in response to that question of like i wonder how she still does it maybe that's exactly why is she gets those messages from these young women and you could get one message like that and be like right this is why i'm doing it it's really important to tell people Mm. i think what they mean to you emma what have you got to get off your breast today so my topic today is something that probably every woman listening would would probably relate to in some way i was in a pub recently and it was really busy and we were watching something on the TV, some sport or something. Anyway, there was a break, went to the loo. I was queuing for the loo for like 
35 minutes and it was just there was no toilets in there there was like maybe two and I just noticed the men just go in and out and in and out and in and out and like literally 50 people had gone in and out by the time you know we were just standing there and I was just thinking that is so much time that women spend just waiting and this was based on this topic that I wanted to talk about was sort of based on an article I'd read on the Atlantic They've, they've done this really intellectual essay about um, this this thing, which they call potty parity. Oh. So like, Just how do we become equal? <laughs> how do we become equal when it comes to like going to the toilet? But um, I, ju- I think it is a big issue, and I think actually, why haven't we solved this? Like, why haven't people built just more toilets for women? So this is two part because that annoys me. But the other thing that annoys me is. Why do we as women spend more time faffing around in toilets? Because we're not always on our period, but maybe socially we're like checking in the mirror, you know, worried about something or just taking our time in there. And is that socially, like, have we been socially conditioned to basically waste time on our appearance constantly? Isn't there like physiologically though, like women just do take longer to wee? Because we have to why? But I don't. No, I go in. I wee and I get out. I, sometimes I don't quite understand. I yeah. I'm quite shocked how long some women take. Go on, Sophie. Yeah, well, <laughs> be, be brave. <laughs> so I I'm I'm not a scientist. I'm not one of those science guys. I don't know. About Disclaimer: that. None of us are scientists. No, uh, <laughs> none of us are scientists. Um, I don't know the about the actual science of it. When I was doing Riot Girls, the program on Channel Four that I did, that was kind of in a funny way like getting women's issues to the fore we did stuff on this because there was there's always a queue for the women's toilets one reason it happens is that people just didn't really think women would go out and be social so a lot of old buildings um we did a sketch that wasn't aired at the royal opera house don't have toilets for women they they weren't toilets for women so they're much smaller um or they don't exist or they're converted spaces because only men or more men were going out and being social. Mm. I just don't think there should be gender split toilets anyway. I think everyone should have a private cubicle, which obviously yeah. isn't feasible in old buildings. I was in some in um, shared gender toilets. What's the word? Unisex. <laughs> Unisex. Or just toilets. Um, <laughs> just toilets. I was in some. I was in some toilets, and they were yeah um unisex and this guy walked in and i'm like i'm putting my lipstick on in the mirror and he like freaks out he's like um i'm, I'm, I'm so sorry am i am i in the wrong place and i was like no you like take your pick there are the loos and he just couldn't cope with like being in that space with me it was really weird i think like people need to get over it but i think some men are quite used to women like viewing them suspiciously in a way like i know some men who are actually quite thoughtful about it and like Mm. if they're walking down the street for example as a woman like they will hold back because they don't want to they they are aware that women can feel threatened in certain situations Mm. so maybe that guy was just a bit like oh is this woman gonna think that i'm like encroaching on her space and maybe maybe and actually maybe he was more nervous than he thought i would be nervous maybe or yeah i mean i really wasn't but i think if you don't have like individual toilets then there should be a space for people that don't want to come into contact with men but 
I, I mean, this is a whole other kettle of fish, whole, isn't it? Yeah. With the news around trans mm. rights in toilets and, and the changing of signs and what they mean. I mean, that is a whole other dark yeah. path of conversation. Which probably which I don't think is that, trans. Don't. I personally don't think it's that big a debate. Well, I, th- I think in a way we should just split toilets into people who wee on the seats and people who don't wee on the seats. And anyone who doesn't <laughs> wee on the seats is welcome to share the toilets. And people who wee on the seats have to use the smelly weeds, wee smelly toilets. Weeds and all you could do even like, people who are really quick at going and just in and out whiz and go and those of you who want to like sit on the loo and have a little think and spend some time you can go in the slow toilet that's a really good idea it's like the escalator when you're walking and and just standing yeah like get in your lane yeah i do i do like to have a sit and a think sometimes I do enjoy also, that. So basically it's all your yes, fault, Sophie. These cues to the loo are all Sophie's fault. I feel like I've been really harsh in like in the second bit of that one where I was like, what are people doing there? I actually think I shouldn't have said that because I'm someone who is introverted by nature, even though my job is very like out there. And then sometimes the only time when I'm freaking out and I'm fre- feeling really anxious and socially there, I'll go and sit on the loo. On I, the loose seat. Yeah, no, I, I, I have that. I do that at work quite a lot. <laughs> You're just like, oh, it's all too much. But I think it's like, where are you spending the time? Are you spending it in front of the mirror or are you spending it on the seat, just being alone with your thoughts? I'm just like sitting in the loo, like, oh my God, I'm on my own. Yes, <laughs> my, my happy place. And then people start bashing on the door. Um, can I ask if anyone else has done this? Has anyone else gone for a little nap in the loo before? A, ha- a hangover. Our work. producer Shola is yeah, saying, our yes. producer I've done that many done that. times. I thought you were going to say a wank. No. See, I used, to, I used to do cheeky work naps, and also um, at school. And I would get when I was like either really tired or hungover, I'd get the loo roll. And if you prop the loo roll <gasps> on the wall next to your head, it makes a very handy pillow. Top tip, life hack. <laughs> that is such a good <laughs> hack. Don't people do that in Loo-lots. like Japan or something, you know, when the work culture is oh, yeah. mental and they just, they go and sleep anywhere under the desk, 10 minutes. Because their work days are so mm. long. Yeah. It's well, so I mean, sad. I don't blame anyone for a loo nap, but I think probably not everyone in there is napping. It's probably more like you said, having just a little moments themselves a little little scroll on instagram but i do think yeah you could maybe if there's a big old queue you maybe wouldn't take that moment if you could see there was a lot of women actually like gagging to go but i i think also the thing about men's losers is they can wee standing up right and they can go to the urinals so they don't all use a cubicle so you could have like a kind of trough and they just go in (laughs) oh god and trough it up and go they're out in 30 seconds they don't wash their hands i'm not saying all of them but you know that is kind of, yeah, we're, we we like to take a little moment more. And, also, yeah. do you think maybe new mums use that time? Because I once heard someone say a 10-minute scroll on Instagram on the loo is like a trip to the Bahamas. Oh. Like, as in, because they're so inundated with, like, their kids constantly. They're like, I'm going to go gonna and say sit it, on the loo. I thought you were going to say a new mum, like, just physically takes longer to wee, which I oh, can no. verify <laughs> I just meant is 100% me time. true. Right? I'm going to just lay it out mm. here. I'm, like, renowned amongst my friends, guys, just showing off here, being a very fast weeer. They used to call me, like, they'd be, like, racehorse weeing, right? I actually, like, thought I had a problem for her because I was like, I'm so quick. And people in Lou's often, like, commend me and thank me. I'm like, oh, you're so quick. So it's, like, my skill, Aww. my party trick, nice. quick weeing. Um, but when you have a baby, it does become a lot longer. It gets, you know, things go back to normal after a while. But, you know, your, your um, what's it called? Your pelvic floor muscles are basically screwed. And, um, yeah, so people taking longer than Lou's, if they have had a baby relatively recently it could be also because boys take longer yeah there's so yeah. many reasons why people probably spend ages isn't there yeah 
I take it back. But we just need more. No, but it's like you said, we just need more of them, right? Yeah, more of them. And so in and the article, just to conclude, um, the final paragraph of this article is basically saying, why haven't we cracked it? I hate this phrase of like, it's 2019. This doesn't mean anything. But we've got to this stage now in life where this is obviously a problem. We're losing minutes, precious time of our lives queuing. There is a solution. Just build more toilets. 
and not mm. him. Because I also think Ted Bundy, from what I've read or heard about him, is someone who really craved that kind of celebrity and would quite love all this attention. And Yeah. I think, oh, I have a, I've got another theory about it. <laughs> um, I think it's quite telling, because I don't know a, an awful lot about Ted Bundy, Ted Bundy, but am I correct that most of the victims that we know about were women? Mm-hmm. And I think that, it's the same thing has happened with another Netflix sensation of recent times with you, which was a fictionalized account of basically a stalker who then turns into a serial killer because he's so obsessed with this woman. Women's suffering is seen as entertainment. People like to watch women suffer. It's like part of how we're like socialized to see seduction is slightly violent as well. And then watching women's pain on screen like becomes high art like women like watching it men like watching it like if a an actress can portray her pain viscerally that's the most affecting thing that's the most affecting thing you can see and i think that's why people are like oh ted bundy's so sexy because if he was going around killing as as obviously some serial killers do if he's going around killing children or killing young boys no one would be like oh have you heard like this like Orlando Bloom's playing this hot serial killer that like murdered loads of men. It's mm. because it's women that are being killed, and so that's part of this. So is it okay for us to watch those kinds of shows and to even be entertained by them and to enjoy them? Is that all right if it's like? You know, it's interesting said, because with you, I binge on that, and actually, the author of the book, Caroline, is a good friend of mine, and oh. she. Um, wrote the books and then got the Netflix green light years ago. And, and she's like, so happy it's out. And, and I'm very, I love that show. And I wonder if, cause I was saying to my boyfriend the other night, how gross I am. I, gross out I am about the Ted Bundy coverage. And he said, yeah, but you've watched you and you're tweeting about how much you love you. It's but, exactly the same. And then I, I thought, sorry. is it because it's fiction that I don't have a problem with it as much or, but do you think that I can't remember his name? But Dan Gossip Girl, Pen Badgley, Joe. Oh, Pen Badgley. Do you think? Yeah. Are you like? Oh my God, Joe's so dreamy. He's so hot. Yes. <laughs> well, it's funny because I interviewed her once, just like when the books first came out, and she was like, "Yeah, I love Joe. Don't we all?" Like she, oh. she, she thinks that he's. It, it's weird, but, but he's a fictional character, and <laughs> I wonder if that matters or if it doesn't. I feel like it definitely matters, but I think there's there's sort of different... It's like, how comfortable are we with the fact that, as you said, Sophie, we all somehow, in a gorish, weird way, feel this kind of entertainment and titillation at these kind of violence towards women mm-hmm. and these violent murders, whether fictionalised or not. And that's a kind of mo- almost moral, ethical, like, what's wrong with us? What's wrong with society? Why are we here? That's a kind of bigger question. But I think when it's not fictionalised, there also becomes this really other important point, like probably the most important point, which is these victims were real people yeah. and their families are still yeah. alive today. And I remember um, reading, uh, I don't even know why I was reading this, but it was I was researching something and I ended up reading um, the parole statement of one of Sharon Tate's family. I think it was a niece. Um, Sharon Tate was one of the people murdered by uh, Charles Manson. And it was, they were trying to stop one of the murderers, um, one of the Manson uh, group being released. And they had to give a statement, which they, as they do regularly have to give these statements. And, uh, one of the things they brought up in it, which was just I hadn't really thought about before, was like how painful it is for their kids. So these are like the nieces and nephews. So this is like their auntie who was much beloved, young woman, she was pregnant, you know, horrific, awful murder. And they go to like rock concerts and someone will be wearing like a Charles Manson t-shirt uh. or the band will be wearing like a badge with like Manson on it. And like, it's kind of cool 
the child to talk about Charles Manson or to read a book about the Charles Manson murders. It's like you know, it's the sixties. It's rock and roll. It's you know, it was an era. It's kind of re- rebellious, and it's got this kind of air. And like how painful those kids found it to be around their peers who were almost celebrating that person. Or yeah, and I just think like mm. we need to think about that. And like, were Ted Bundy's victims? contacted and the victim's families yeah. rather contacted and asked how they feel I about think, a movie oh probably God. not capitalism is grim put it on a t-shirt woo yeah. I wanted to just read out this tweet really quickly because it made me think about the commissioning process as well of getting things commissioned so Deborah Francis White who is a comedian said film studios the problem with this female character in your screenplay is that she's dating two men so she's really unlikable and we've decided to pass also film studios who's the cheekiest chipmunk we can find to play ted bundy it's almost Mm. like for years we've been told unlikable women shouldn't be cast and things and it's like but you always cast the most unlikable men yeah yeah i don't get it i think that that's really interesting because i was talking to someone about killing eve have you guys watched it yeah and a man was saying that he didn't like it because he thought it was weird how we were glorifying the violence of it because there's a female um, assassin in the in Killing Eve, if you haven't seen it, and she kills a lot of people. And you see quite graphically the deaths, which she doesn't really seem to be affected by. But I don't want to say that this man was affected by it because it's a woman killing people. But it's so commonplace that there are men like Bond or any other man in any other fictionalized thing that kills someone and we don't be like but he's not but look how cheap life life is in this thing yeah. i think i think what phoebe waller bridges did who wrote <laughs> killing eve though is that she well firstly she twisted a stereotype so making i mean i'm not saying there's no female assassins out mm. there but making the kind of greatest best most slick assassin a female and obviously the way it was written as well though it was kind of she had some sort of amusing elements about her as Mm -hmm. well so it wasn't like a totally serious drama Mm -hmm. um but I think um the characters that she killed as well were all really distasteful characters who were kind of in that world Mm -hmm. so it wasn't like when we watched something about Ted Bundy or you know um yeah they sort of innocent mm. young virg- virgin girls who are you know mm. in their prime they maybe have sex and it's a, it's a classic horror movie isn't it virgin girl has sex and then two minutes later is murdered don't have sex girls um do you know what else i hate as well is that women are always p- portrayed in these films as like loving murderers like you're saying about the, the charles manson badges and t-shirts there are so many films where women are writing to murderers in jail, being like, I love you, pen pals. Mm-hmm. And yes, that has happened. People would fall in love with serial killers. It's like, there's loads of books on it. But don't tar all women with the same brush as being like obsessed with a like sexy serial killer. Like we're not mm-hmm. all like that. Yeah. I read a really interesting article in The Vulture, I think it was. Um, I'm sorry, whoever the author is, I can't remember who, who they are, but... Um, it was saying basically like the reason that people find it okay to um, watch films or documentaries even about real life serial killers or fictional serial killers is because the whole idea of a serial killer feels so removed from us. So we feel like we can be like safe voyeurs, whereas actually there are estimated to be around two. I don't know who made up this estimate, but estimated to be around 2000 serial killers today in America. So it, it continues to be a threat, but it feels like something that could have happened in the 1970s yeah. or the 80s and people were dressed differently and they looked differently. And it's not really art. We're not really, we're not going to get killed by serial killers. Whereas today's serial killers really are people who shoot schools, for example, and bring mm-hmm. out a gun. It's like, 
you know, angry young white boys who come in to massacre their school friends. So you wouldn't make a, a, a sort of Hollywood film about that yet because that's mm. that's not okay. But it seems okay to do it about. That's young, what, yeah, know. and it's also like the coverage of these killers when it's like a young white man. They're like, mm. oh, a lone wolf just like straying away from his friends. Like, we all yeah, know that there's I, a stereotype there. I find the phrase lone wolf infuriating because it's so cool. Like, everyone wants yeah. to be a lone wolf. It's like, stop calling yeah. people lone wolves. Yeah, it's like, like why, don't, why don't you use the word terrorist like you do on everyone else? Like, why are you picking words yeah. to like describe a, different I do, people? So this is, this is like a whole other topic, but I do think, like, when you people use the word terrorism, they, it does have to be because whoever's doing it has a political aim. And it could be that their political aim... As a, they are a white person with a political aim, but they have to be doing it to try and change policy somehow, mm-hmm. irrelevant of their religion mm-hmm. or colour. So I, I do think sometimes that has to be remembered. And like whether you're brown de- or definition? black or white or yellow, mm-hmm. whatever colour you are, if you're doing it because you are like someone who just hates society or is just mentally unwell, then that is not terrorism. But if you're doing it, no matter what you look like, if you're doing it because you're trying to, because you've got like right wing agenda and you're trying to like change the policy of the government, then you, that's terrorism. Mm. But that, there has to, there is a distinction there. But it's like, you know, the guy that killed Joe... Jay Cox. Yeah, Jay that's Cox. terrorism. Was he called a terrorist? Well, I think... Because he should have been. I think... I don't think he... I'm not sure if he was called a terrorist, but I think he definitely qualifies as a terrorist. 100%. 100%. Yeah. As was the guy who ran down the um, people outside a mosque. There was a... Yeah. Uh, he killed one uh, But it's so infuriating the way that people in the media choose the headlines because they won't... They will say lone wolf for mm. those... It's yeah. awful. Yeah. Anyway, tangent, sorry. No, it's a good <laughs> tangent, but yeah. I, I, also, I, I have a question also yeah. about Ted Bundy to fill me in on my serial killer lack of knowledge. I am in a writer's room at the moment where it's uh, a lot of men uh, and they are all obsessed with serial killers. We talk about serial killers like um, five times a day and making a topical comedy show. Men love serial killers, or at least some men, well, some men do. Um, but my, what my my question about Ted Bundy is: Was he actually hot? So I think he. he I feel bad saying <laughs> it because no, I'm like what? I've just spouted about how it's so awful that we're saying that. So if you look at a photo of him, I, I don't think I don't think he's hot at all. But if you look at a photo of him, of him, he is like more like traditionally good looking than what you would imagine like your average kind of you know serial mm. killer to look like whatever that would be um however people who met him said that actually he was quite gross like he was always picking his nose and like not you know not necessarily made gross but like he wasn't like didn't come across as an attractive person in real life he was always biting his nails and he wasn't like charming and attractive in his personality so he when you met him he didn't seem attractive but i think from photos yeah these like black and white yeah. smoldering photos are everywhere and it looks moment. like an instagram filter anyway like because it's the past jeffrey dahmer so. was the other one wasn't yeah. he everyone said that jeffrey dahmer was hot but which kind of should be irrelevant but again yeah charles manson then comes up again it's it does it does seem to make a difference in terms of how we want to how, how many people want to watch them on tv and you yeah. know talk about them but it's oh god i just the amount of pe- the amount of money that people are going to be making off the back of all these films it just feels a bit wrong and i feel like they sensationalize the the films and the documentaries to show more suffering of the victims because the more kind of like dramatic they are the higher the ratings mm-hmm. and also doesn't all it show that we just value looks above everything else still because that's the biggest selling point 
serial killer who's also hot. Yeah. Like, do you remember that hot mm. felon? That hot oh, mugshot yeah. guy. Being hot is enough, apparently. <laughs> that now, is not like, the message he's we He's now need. marrying, like, Philip Green's daughter or something. He's, like, he's so a fucking yeah. baby daddy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I don't think, Jeff, for the record, I don't think Jeffrey Dahmer or Ted Bundy are hot. I think they look like ordinary men. I think yes. that knowing that they've killed people makes them have this like pattern of being sexy and dangerous. I think they they could be someone's type, but they're not. Why is killing someone sexy? That's so. It's so. I mean, it's so it's odd. Like, like how have we got to this point? <laughs> it's like Why the is... motorcycle leather jacket murder. Yeah. Is it just because it's the wor- like the worst thing you can do? It's like the most taboo anti-society thing you could do. Is to but I, I, I don't think it is. I think a lot of. I mean, <laughs> I'm always trying to be like, don't get super political. I think a lot of like killing is like super endorsed by our society like people firstly um you don't have to be it's like entirely your choice whether you're like for the army or anti-army but that's still by a lot of people seen as a uh, incredible thing to defend your country and to fight for your country um to fight like abroad like these wars that are basically all about trade um people like sign off decisions in politics that effectively kill people who can't have access to like medication there's a, oh, there's an awful lot of violence mm. that is normalized and mm. whether it's something like i want a guy that will punch a guy in the face for me at a pub if someone tries to touch my bum which is the to... most unattractive thing in the world i think don't you think i don't mm. i just find that I, horrible I, mean, I have a lot of friends that's like number two on the list what that they'd, they'd punch someone defend. if they don't protect what, them. number two that they want or that they hate that they want really my anyone who would i oh. had an argument with them because i was like i don't think that's very feminist and they were like well i am a feminist and i was like oh, it's also really violent though <laughs> what you want someone to smash someone's face in like physically hurt yeah because oh. she was saying she wants men to feel threatened like she feels threatened when they like touch her butt why would you want anyone to feel threatened? Like, I just want people to feel good and happy and know. loved. I kind of get it. I kind of, I don't, like, my my boyfriend was in a physical fight with someone who just decided to attack uh, him because I think he didn't like the look of us walking down the street. And they had, like, a sort of scuffle. He hit him in the face and, like, knocked one of his teeth out. But my, my boyfriend's very not violent. But I think he had this sort of pride in having done it and having protected you and having like protected you and like defended himself and like being a man and that and i was like i'm not gonna congratulate you but when you say it like you know someone in self-defense protects you that feels like you know chivalrous but when you say like i want someone to punch someone in (laughs) the face if that's your threat it feels really violent and thank you so much sophie for the chat and for the crisps Thank you so much for listening to yet another juicy episode of Get It Off Your Breasts. Don't forget to click to subscribe to make sure you don't miss any further episodes. 